Howdy friends, this is Matt Sewell and you're listening to episode 66 of the Popecast, the only podcast about popes where you'll get non-boring stories of the popes and a reminder that all of the world's problems have happened plenty of times before. We're giving a shout out this week to the great people at Wild Rose Graphics in Spokane, Washington, the home of the Popecast. They're the ones printing up our exclusive Popecast t-shirts for one of our Patreon tiers and have been incredibly generous and great to work with. So uh, they asked if, if we could give them a shout out on the show. I will happily do that. Um, and you can check them out too, if you'd like, at wildrosegraphics.com for their awesome selection. Not just shirts, tons of other stuff, everything uh, that you can slap a logo or a graphic on. So once again, that's wildrosegraphics.com. Our Pope this week was only in office a short time, but still managed to leave a mark that's resounded through the ages in battling one of early Christianity's most monumental heresies. He's also one of just three pontiffs in history to have a name that starts with the letter Z. This week on the Popecast, it's the last pope, alphabetically. Pope Saint Zosimus. Now, the exact year of Zosimus' birth is unknown, but he was a Greek and his father's name was Abram, which some historians have deduced to mean that his family was of Jewish origin. Other than that, nothing is known of the life of Zosimus before he was elected to replace Pope St. Innocent I on March 12, 417 AD. Zosimus was, was only pope for a year and change, but there was enough drama in the years 417 and 418 to fill three papacies, or more, frankly. It all started with the party held after Zosimus' consecration on March 18th, In attendance was Patroclus, the Bishop of Arles, a city located now in the south of France, who made a point to buddy up to the new pontiff as a way to curry favor for his own interests. It would seem that Zosimus, holy though he was, tended to be a rather poor judge of character, proving himself at times to be too trusting at best and incredibly gullible at worst. See, Patroclus was in reality a pretender to the throne as Bishop of Arles. The Roman Emperor at the time, Constantius III, had deposed the rightful Bishop Heros by force a few years prior and installed Patroclus in his place. All Patroclus wanted was, as my bishop here in Spokane once said of such clergymen, to, quote, ride the ecclesiastical escalator and collect increasingly more power and riches for himself. He was able to gain the confidence of the Pope and within days of their initial meeting, had a letter in hand conferring upon him the rights of a metropolitan archbishop, effectively making him the instant boss of all the other bishops in the three different Gallic provinces where he reigned, not to mention basically making him the papal mouthpiece for all of modern-day France, giving him sole permission to grant clergy from the region permission to travel to Rome or not. Patroclus was able to finagle this arrangement much to the anger of his brother bishops in the region, thanks to something that had been decided nearly 20 years earlier, making Arles the seat of civil government for the region, but several bishops still called BS to the Pope. Try as he might, the problem with Arles wouldn't get fully resolved until well after Zosimus' death, until the papacy of St. Leo the Great, in fact, a quarter century later, although Patroclus himself would end up getting murdered long before that. To be fair to Zosimus, the, the Pope has more than one fish to fry in any age, as we've noted often on this podcast, and so he can hardly be blamed himself for not sniffing out Patroclus's ulterior motives. And then the same can be said for the other major drama of Zosimus's papacy, that of the infamous Pelagian heresy, which was culminating as our venerable Pope appeared on the scene. 
As a quick refresher, Pelagianism was a heresy that surfaced in the 5th century, teaching that original sin wasn't really real, and God's grace wasn't really necessary. Adam's sin was Adam's, not ours, and he just gave us a, you know, quote-unquote bad example that we have a tendency to repeat. And just as we do, we only do evil by the example of those who have taught us to do such things, so too our good deeds merely result of a good example, the best example being Jesus dying on the cross. None of that necessary supernatural salvation garbage, according to Pelagius and his followers. So as a result, Pelagianism taught that a person basically just had to work their way into heaven. As the Catholic News Agency writes in their entry on the heresy, quote, We could merit heaven by a natural faith without God's supernatural help, end quote. The latter, of course, being the very definition of grace. So this heresy, along with two of its chief potsters, Celestius and Pelagius himself, had been resoundingly condemned and the men excommunicated by Zosimus's predecessor, St. Innocent I. Also joining the charge against Pelagius was the great St. Augustine, who had echoed Innocent's words already by adding his own condemnations alongside his brother bishops into the mix from North Africa. Zosimus, though he was most certainly no sympathizer with heresy, left something to be desired in the minds of his fellow Orthodox believers with how he handled Celestius and Pelagius, at least in the immediate, once he ascended to the chair of Peter. The two men, beginning with Celestius, heard there was a new pope in town, presumably, and decided to try their luck with a new confession of faith, a new profession of obedience to the Roman pontiff, but one that was actually very carefully worded so as to not actually renounce their heretical belief. The Catholic Encyclopedia writes that, quote, the pope was won over by the shrewdly calculated conduct of Celestius and said that it was not certain whether the heretic had really maintained the false doctrine rejected by Innocent. It goes on, describing Pelagius, quote, Soon after this, Zosimus received from Pelagius also an artfully expressed confession of faith, together with a new treatise by the heretic on free will. The Pope held a new synod of the Roman clergy, before which both these writings were read. The skillfully chosen expressions of Pelagius concealed the heretical contents. The assembly held the statements to be orthodox, end quote. Now, all of this you know, may seem well and good, except for the fact that the African bishops, led by Augustine, having condemned the pair for their prior statements back in 411, were thought by Zosimus to have been too hasty and harsh. And they, you know, Celestius and Pelagius sounded really nice when they were making their case. And so the Pope wrote to them on each occasion, when Celestius presented and when Pelagius presented, perhaps not seeing through the tricky language at play by the two, or perhaps simply playing a bit of devil's advocate, Zosimus, to the African bishops, just to keep everyone honest. But seeing that the Pope and their group were passing like ships in the night, the African bishops themselves called a synod locally, the 418 Council of Carthage, to discuss and pen a letter back to the Pope, laying out clearly the case of how he'd been deceived by the heretics. This was convincing enough for Zosimus, in fact, who, after having received the canons, the, the, the letter from the council, affirmed what Augustine and company resolved. He let them know that he was reserving judgment until hearing back from them anyway, and he set to work on his famous Tractoria, the encyclical letter confirming the bishop's conclusions and finally, officially, condemning Pelagianism and its proponents definitively. The canons proclaiming the truth in opposition to Pelagianism, for anyone curious, were the following eight items. Canon 1. Adam was not created subject to death. Canon 2. Infants are to be baptized for the remission of sins. So we're born with original sin, right? Canon 3. Grace not only gives remission of sins, but aid that we sin no more. 
Canon 4, grace gives knowledge, inspiration, and desire to perform required duty. Canon 5, without grace of God, we can do no good thing. Canon 6, the statement, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, should not be said out of humility, but because it is true. So if we're saying that we have no, if we say we have no sin, we're kidding ourselves. That's not humble. That's just a fact is what they're saying there. Canon 7, in the Lord's Prayer, the saints pray, forgive us our trespasses, not only for others, but also for themselves. And finally, Canon 8, the saints pray, forgive us our trespasses, not out of humility, but because they have sinned. Now, not long after all this went down, Zosimus died. On the day after Christmas, December 26th, 418, and he was buried in the church of St. Lawrence in Rome. Dom John Chapman, an early 20th century Benedictine abbot, wrote about Zosimus in his book, Studies on the Early Papacy. And he says, quote, He is numbered among the saints, and the generosity of his character shines through the unfortunate mistakes which fill his short pontificate, and which history is not allowed to pass over. His contemporaries, with the exception of those heretics to whom he was too kind, have nothing but praise for his memory. End quote. Now, although Zosimus's Tractoria is lost to history, there does still exist many snippets of letters he wrote more than 16 centuries ago. And so, as we do in every episode where they exist, we'll end with the words of this pope himself. Here, Zosimus responding back to the African bishops one last time, noting his reliance on them for their input, his affirmation of the primacy of the pope as head of the universal church, and making sure they knew that he was of one mind with them and with the church as a whole. So here is Pope St. Zosimus in his own words. Quote, Although the traditions of the fathers has attributed to the apostolic see so great authority that none would dare to contest its judgment, and has preserved this ever in its canons and rules, and current ecclesiastical discipline in its laws still pays the reverence which it ought to the name of Peter, from which it has itself its origins, for canonical antiquity, willed that this apostle should have such power by the decisions of all, and by the promise of Christ our God that he should loose the bound and bind the loosed. And an equal condition of power has been given to those who, with his consent, have received the heritage of his see. For he himself has care over all churches, and above all, of that in which he sat. Nor does he suffer anything of its privileges or decisions to be shaken in any wind, since he established it on the foundation, firm and immovable, of his own name, which no one shall rashly attack but at his peril. Since then, Peter is the head of so great authority, and has confirmed the suffrages of our forefathers since his time, so that the Roman Church is confirmed by all laws and disciplines, divine or human, whose place we rule, and the power of whose name we inherit. As you are not ignorant, my brethren, but you know it well, and as bishops you are bound to know it. Yet, though such was our authority that none could reconsider our decision, yet we have done nothing which we did not of our own accord refer to your cognizance by letter, giving this much to our brotherhood, in order that by taking counsel in common, not because we did not know what ought to be done or because we might do something which might displease you as being contrary to the good of the church, but we desired to treat together with you of a man who was accused before you, as you yourself wrote, and who came to our sea asserting that he was innocent not refusing judgment on his original appeal, of his own accord calling for his accusers, and condemning the things of which he said he was falsely accused by rumor. We thought, and indeed we know, that the entire petition was explained in our former letter, and we believe that we had sufficiently replied to the letters you wrote in answer. But we have unfolded the whole role of your letter, which was sent later by the deacon Marcellinus, 
You have understood the entire text of our letter as if we had believed Celestius in everything and had given our assent, so to speak, to every syllable without discussing the words. Matters which need a long treatment are never rashly postponed, nor without great deliberation must aught be decided on which a final judgment has to be given. Wherefore, let your brotherhood know that we have changed nothing either since we wrote to you or you wrote to us, but that we have left all in the same state in which it was when we informed your holiness of the matter in our letter, in order that your earnest request might be acceded to. Farewell. End quote. Well, that's a wrap on this story of Pope St. Zosimus, the last pope, alphabetically. If you're enjoying the podcast and haven't already, please be sure to leave us a rating and review over at iTunes. It helps to make sure more folks can, of course, find and listen to the show. And we'll, we're, we're happy to read those out on the show as long as they're five stars. No, I'm kidding. But but seriously. But yeah, another quick reminder, be sure to check us out at patreon.com slash the podcast, especially if you would like a limited edition podcast mug or podcast t-shirt. Uh, patreon.com slash the podcast and thank you as always to all of our listeners new and old you can catch us on social media for pictures and quotes uh, at the podcast between new episodes please feel free to shoot us an email at the podcast.fm uh, sometime we'd love to hear from you so as we head out today let us ask for the intercession of pope saint zosimus and saint augustine that we might accept the grace to recognize that grace is real and indeed that it's essential for our flourishing in this life and in the next until next time.